What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. Happy Monday. Hope you guys are doing well out there. And Monday is my fundamentals report day. It's a free weekly newsletter. You can sign up for that over on BitcoinandMarkets.com. Let me pull up the screen. BitcoinandMarkets.com. This is my home for all of my content. We have Market Pro. That's a price, heavy price analysis that comes out once a week. The report, uh, the newsletter, free newsletter that comes out on Mondays. FedWatch goes here. What else do I put down here? Blog posts, uh, podcasts, and of course we have the live streams. That's what I'm doing right now on YouTube, Rumble, Twitter, and Telegram. Check out the Telegram t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. That's where I hang out most of the time. Um, I said I hope you guys are well, but I am still trying to get over this cold. Um, it's my body feels fine. It's just uh, having to clear my throat and stuff constantly. I was going to live stream this weekend, but uh, I I didn't want to like have a real bad voice during it. So I, I was like, okay, I'm just not going to do it. But we are back here on Monday getting into our stuff here, the fundamentals report. For those that don't know, I go through, let's see, headlines, price, mining, and usually lightning uh, every single week. This week I cut out the lightning because there wasn't anything really exciting to talk about. Uh, but that comes out once a week and you can sign up for free on BitcoinMarkets.com. All right, actually, let's go to the price chart. This is a live price chart. Unlike on the report there, it's going to be, you know, about five hours old or something. And man, it looked like we were about to break up this morning, but it has since come back down. Let's do this hourly chart. We were kind of looking on this, looking at this in the telegram and something changed right here about 10 a.m. Eastern time. But then by 1 p.m. Eastern, it was already over. The whole move was over. And then by two o'clock, it had fully retraced. So I don't know what's going on with the price. I thought perhaps it was some reaction to the Argentina news, which we'll go over here in a second. Um, it could also just be random noise. But then there was another thing that came out about the SEC. A former SEC chairman is what it was worded as in the headlines, but he wasn't a chairman. He was just a head of a department at the SEC, and he said something bad about the uh, Bitcoin ETFs. So, yeah, there's there's not a lot of life in this market. Let's zoom out to the weekly so you guys can see the pattern that I'm watching here. And if you're new to my content, you know, this is what I've been watching for ages. This is the most boring time in Bitcoin's history, which will also cover price um, here in a little bit. But, um, yeah, just a brief look at this weekly chart. Okay, what else? Well, something I didn't write about chart-wise, but I might write about it on the next Market Pro, is the dollar is really making a big move here. Uh, back up to 103, kind of getting close to the top of this channel. We'll see if we break out. I was I saw some analysts uh, drawing this line, something like this, and showing that this is a breakout in the dollar. And I'm going to share that with Telegram because I did not put that on the report and telegram does not have eyes on this live stream. So that would be interesting if that was the case. Uh, it does match these two areas and the, the top of here. Really, I don't like this long extended 
move or trend line without the intervening highs also touching the trend line. Um, so yeah, th this remains to be seen. I, I do like the channel right now and moving up towards the top of the channel. If we break this area and we go this way, um, watch out. Stand by. Let me yell at this dog. All right. Now let's get into the report more because I also cover the dollar. Uh, I don't cover a dollar chart, but I, co I cover a, the dollar as a topic in one of the headlines that I write about here. But okay. So I always start off the week with a meme and boy, <laughs> Bitcoin's price has just been so stable. This is a great meme. Is this a stable coin? It's acting like one right now. It's been what, 29,400 for how many days in a row? It's kind of, it's really, really boring. Um, there's not a ton of headlines either. Uh, Nolan Bowerly, who is now the co host of FedWatch, he was saying, um, that this has to do a lot with summer vacations. And I can see that uh, it's also extremely hot here in the United States. I think people are kind of hunkering down and trying to stay cool. And there's just not a lot of stuff going on at this time. Uh, even like in, in normal person life with uh, like sporting events and stuff, everything is off. Actually, I just, I saw that preseason NFL just started, um, but it feels like there's nothing going on right now at all in the markets. Very, very quiet. Okay, let's get into snapshot of Bitcoin. Weekly trend, extremely low volatility. We'll get into the price charts. Media sentiment is very positive. I don't really know how it could be much more positive, but it can be. I mean, if the, I guess if the ETFs were approved, then it will become extremely positive. But uh, this is one of the most positive times in the media sentiment or media coverage of Bitcoin since I've been around and I learned about Bitcoin in 2011. So I've been around for a long time here and this is definitely the most positive I've ever seen it. Network traffic is medium. We're going to cover the mempool and fees and stuff like that. Uh, mining industry as a whole is stable and there's 246 days until the halving. Of course, that's the estimate that can change rapidly. If the price goes up and you know hash rate starts going up pretty quick, that could be as low as maybe even 220. Um, that would be what? A little bit more than 10% faster? I think that's possible. All right. Um, weekly price at the time of writing is 29,500. What was it just now when we were just looking at it? Oh, I'm on, am I on the wrong? Ah, guys, sorry. I was on the wrong tab. So Bitcoin Fundamentals Report. There's the meme. I'm down here in the weekly trend or the weekly snapshot. Uh, weekly price. <laughs> you guys were looking at the price chart the whole time, but uh, it is sticking here at 29,330. So a little bit lower than the published price here on the, the fundamentals report. Market cap was 574 billion, over half a trillion still. And I think that's an important mark for the Bitcoin ecosystem, half a trillion. Uh, we really haven't broken that. I thought, I think we might've broken it uh, for a little bit when we went down to 16,000, but we have been holding strong above half a trillion for a while now. Okay. Satoshi's per dollar, 33.90. One finny, that's one ten thousandth of a Bitcoin. Uh, that, that's my denomination that I 
have been using for probably five or six years uh, on these reports and things. And I think it's a great middle denomination, but I have seen a lot more talk about sats versus bits. Uh, I mean, this is, it's kind of a fun discussion or fun argument to have uh, sats versus bits. Who knows? I think sats makes more sense, but the average person, you know, is going to decide. And I think that they will choose bits probably, but that's the, anyway, I use Finney because I think it's a great middle denomination. It's kind of like a Benjamin or, you know, a grand, one of these uh, uh, terms in money that means a certain denomin- uh, higher denomination. And that would be a Finney. That's at $2.95. Okay. Mining sector, the previous difficulty adjustment a week ago now, I think it was Saturday, it took place, was just a tenth of a percent higher, but that is a positive move. The next estimated adjustment is plus 3% next week. Mempool is at 134. That's up only four megabytes from last week. It's higher, but fees are about half as much. So fees to get in the next block is about 45 cents or 11 Satoshis per virtual byte or bits per virtual virtual byte. <laughs> Maybe we, BVB, that might be the acronym for the fees, BVB, bits per virtual byte. But uh, yeah, that's about half of what it was last week, even though the mempool is slightly elevated from last week. Median fee is 41 cents. That's to get in, I think, in the next three to six blocks. Uh, Lightning network capacity, another down week. I remember last week I said, look, guys, this is the first week that I've seen both of them going up at the same time, capacity and channels. Well, we have a down week this week for both and pretty sizable one uh, capacity dropped to 47.55. That's about a half a percent and channels dropped by uh, three tenths of a percent down to 68,072. Remember we need to see for a number of channels, we need to see three more zeros on this. I'm not a lightning hater. I think it's great tech and it will eventually be extremely important, but we're just not seeing any demand for it right now. And the more they work on it, yeah, they can find out, maybe they can, you know, come up with some UI that really fits, but it just, we just need broader Bitcoin adoption in general, you know, and then we will get more on the Lightning Network. But also Bitcoin is a very central bank-esque type of money. You know, it's high powered money. and People might not want to use it on Lightning Network. Even when we are on a Bitcoin standard, they might want to use a derivative of Bitcoin, not Bitcoin itself. Um, That's kind of hard to explain. But as long as it's possible, some people will do it. It's very important to have self-custody, but most people won't self-custody. Okay, I bet 80% of people won't self-custody. But using Pareto... You know, the 80% of people only ever going to hold 20% of the Bitcoin at most. 80% of the Bitcoin will be held by the top 20%. And that's the people that need to be able to take uh, self-custody. Okay, so, and it might be even less than that. What I don't know what the Gini coefficient, uh, you know, kind of Pareto distribution is. But uh, let's say the top uh, 10% own maybe close to 90% of the dollars or 90% of the wealth. So you would 
that's that's what you would need that, that top percent to self custody and bitcoin will be just fine the rest of the people can use derivatives and custodial things unfortunately that's probably what's going to happen unless we have some drastic human evolution in the next uh, 10 20 years where people uh, are going to be interested and able to do things like self custody even though it's not that hard i mean most people just don't have money to self-custody in the first place. Uh, one of the, my arguments against um, like Africa being a big center for Bitcoin adoption is like there, there's just not as much wealth to put into Bitcoin. Bitcoin adoption needs to come from the, the sources of capital. So anyways, uh, that's the Lightning Network. In case you missed it, I have a few other things come out. Like I talked about my Market Pro, that's the price. I also talk about macro in there. Like, for example, this one was inflation is dead and recession odds. I have changed, uh, updated my recession odds for the next 15 months, all the way through Q3 of 2024. I had odds for this year. Pretty much they're still the same, uh, I would say, for recession happening in 2023. But going into Q3 of 2024, uh, I have updated odds on this most recent market pro community stream, podcast version, FedWatch, and I have my two blog posts up here. Okay, let's get into the headlines. So Bitcoiner, Javier, and I don't know how to say his name, Mili, Mili, Javier Mili, wins Argentine presidential primary in landslide. This is massive news. He is an outspoken hater of central bank and banks and lover of Bitcoin. He has threatened to end the Central Bank of Argentina and adopt a Bitcoin standard. And right away when he came out or when the, the results came out, they uh, actually uh, devalued their the peso. And they took some monetary moves to kind of thwart what they th think that this means. Like they think that a Bitcoiner coming into power is actually going to be bad for their currency most likely it won't be okay most likely if a fiscal conservative gets power it's going to increase your currency it's going to increase the value of your currency because people will want to hold it more if there's going to be more economic activity so anyway he's painted as a far-right radical but really he's a populist leader for argentine argentina's unique troubled history with money so yeah he's just the the argentine flavor of populist, which I think is amazing. And I mean, populism is sweeping the world, guys. This globalist Marxist stuff is out. Uh, the push for quote unquote democracy is out. And we are getting like some of the results of real democracy, which is a populist takeover in almost every country. We're going to see this. And what does populism look like in the United States? It looks like non-intervention. It looks like isolation, isolationism. They don't want that. The globalists don't want that because if the U.S., the largest economy in the world, the most dynamic economy in the world, we have, it's like 50 of the top 100 universities. We have 90% of all the patents. Um, all, you know, Silicon Valley is here. All the technology is here. And plus, we have all this natural bounty uh, in the United States. They don't want us to go our own way. 
you know, like MGTOW, but for countries. They don't want us to go our own way. They want to keep us roped into the system. That's why they don't want this populism. That's why they, you know, they are fighting against this. But that's what's happening. It's sweeping the world. Okay, Bitcoin spot ETF news. Last Friday, Kathy Wood's ARK ETF was delayed by the SEC. You guys probably know that. I, I talked about it last week as well. This was not a surprise to anyone. Even Woods herself came out a couple of days prior and claimed the SEC was going to hold off and approve most, if not all, the ETFs at the same time. And then I just kept this timeline up here again. Uh, September 1st is going to be the Friday. Oh, I bumped my mic. Sorry about that. Dece uh, September 1st is a Friday, and that's when probably all of these other ones are going to get announced. Okay. The Valkyrie one is all the way on Monday after that on September 4th, but they will probably announce everybody at the same time since they're all just stacked up right there on that weekend, basically. So anyway, that's the next thing that we're waiting for. And it is only 18 days away. That's not very long, guys. We could be 18 days from a Bitcoin, like a, a slew of Bitcoin ETFs being approved. Just 18 days. And guess what that matches? Pretty close to the end of getting into the end of this uh, triangle. It would be right here. This is the ETF deadline, this red line. So that would be perfect. I mean, if we just kind of trickled our way up here and then bam, <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. I'm going to share that with uh, Telegram you guys over there. Okay, let's get back to the report. So I say an argument against delay. So you, they could delay this. You know, they could mass delay everything just like they delayed ARC last week. They still could mass delay all of these. Um, but an argument against that is that once they're delayed, the chance of approval goes down. And I don't think that their chance of approval is going to go down. And so then probably won't get delayed. It's like reverse deduction <laughs> on this. Uh, so anyway, therefore, if the chance is about 90% of approval right now, which is roughly accurate, maybe 60, to 60, 70, something in there. Um, after a delay, in my opinion, it would fall to under 50%. And that matches with James Seifert. He's a Bloomberg ETF expert. And that's what he has been saying, uh, that after a delay, the chance of approval goes way down. So if you think that there will be an ETF, which I think is the most likely scenario, you have to go against the delay, right? Or you have to think that there's going to be no delay. So we are, there's a, a likelihood, uh, I would say higher than 50% likelihood that we are 18 days away from an approval here, guys. That's pretty crazy. Okay, Bitcoin-related ETF volume globally is dominated by the U.S. Even without a spot ETF, which are already approved in several other countries, like Canada is one. I think Europe has 
is spot ETF. And does Australia have a spot ETF? Brazil, maybe? Something like that. Um, the U.S. St is still responsible for 98% of global trade volume in Bitcoin-related ETFs, <laughs> even when we don't have a spot ETF. So when that when the spot ETF gets approved, it's going to be 99%. Crazy. And if you, like, I know Nolan Bowerly on FedWatch, um, he's we like to talk about China, uh, their adoption and like China adoption versus us adoption. But look at this. I mean, they are so far behind. They're so far behind. Every place is so far behind. I mean, if you're a Bitcoiner and not a us, not a cheerleader, but not bullish on the U S I don't know how you can be a Bitcoiner and not be bullish on the U S most of the time, though, we find just the opposite. Most Bitcoiners have dollar derangement syndrome or U.S. derangement syndrome. One person I like to read a lot uh, or follow and read his tweets, um, Brett Johnson, dollar milkshake theory guy. And he's been having some, you know, just fire tweets recently where he's like, Somebody was talking about the war in Iraq and for many years, you know, it's, it's a war crimes happened. It's bad. But his point was a point that I try to make. And that is if the U S like other countries are not better, you know, if it was some other country invading Iraq, 5 million people would die, not just one. It's hard to prove a negative in this case, but, you know, we are not like uniquely evil people. We're actually uniquely good people. Look at our constitution, you know, look at our free markets leading the free world. Our heritage from Great Britain, where we ended slavery. You know, we are uniquely good people. And so if America does something evil, it doesn't mean that other people would do anything better. They would actually most likely be worse. Worse things would happen. So anyway, uh, the dollar derangement syndrome, I think, is misplaced. But Bitcoiners suffer from this. I don't know how you, again, I don't know how you can be a Bitcoiner and not be bullish on the U.S. when you see stuff like this. 98%. I see no Nigeria in here. And Nigeria is supposed to be like this, you know, the second highest Bitcoin adoption or whatever. I have, I really don't agree with that stat. I think the, that null point, what's the null point for lat long? Zero, zero. That's right off the coast of Nigeria. I think a lot of internet traffic that Nigeria claims as like their Bitcoin node traffic or whatever, or even their search volume their internet search volume just comes from being next to that null point. You know, if, if Chile was next to that null point, it would, they would say Chile was the number two Bitcoin country. I don't believe it. It's not even on this list. We have North America, South America, Europe, and Asia, no Africa doesn't even get a quarter of a percent. All right, let's move on. Anti-cycle calls in Bitcoin. I've noticed a couple 
of instances of people questioning the Bitcoin cycle in its entirety. Not just that this cycle might be smaller or something, but that we are going back to much lower lows and the cycles are an illusion, right? No, uh, past performance is not um, guarantee of future results or whatever the saying is. Yeah, that's what they're saying that uh, the cycles don't exist. It's all just made up. Um, so anyway, I linked to this video and I do recommend watching this video because it is very good to question your assumptions, to get, you know, exposure to other ideas and of the other side. But <laughs> he says that we could retrace to the golden pocket zone, the 61.8 fib retracement roll over and quote kerplunk all the way back down and he draws it to roughly 3000 you know like the bottom of the covid crash the funny thing is that he's using a commonly repeated pattern sorry i gotta move my mic here uh he's using a commonly repeated pattern of fib retracements like that is a ta tool to disprove another commonly repeated pattern of bitcoin cycles you know like Okay, he said there's no guarantee that Bitcoin is in these cycles just because they've done it every single time. And but to do that, he uses something that is a common repeated pattern, just that he believes in more. Right. He believes subjectively in his fib retracements more than the Bitcoin cycle. So there's nothing to say that his Bitcoin cycle or his fib retracements are legit over and above the Bitcoin cycle. Anyway, of course, anything is possible, but it is highly improbable that the price of Bitcoin goes kerplunk. The reason for Bitcoin cycles is not necessarily the mechanical halving cycle. It's also the social proof cycles and the psychological market cycles. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so social proof cycles, that's why I talk about like the hype cycles um, also that Bitcoin is legit fixed. You know, if Bitcoin didn't have, then people would say, oh, it's not fixed supply, right? So, but with it, with it having every four years, it's just more and more proof that it is really fixed. And it brings more and more certainty and more and more confidence. So this is social proof in these cycles um, and the psychological market. So, you know, bull market, sell-off, despair, disbelief, all of these things are working in this four-year cycle. So we are past the despair phase. I think he actually shows by questioning these cycles is the disbelief stage. So we are in disbelief. We're starting down that road. All right. Last thing I'll say about this, it's kind of long, is that most of these bad takes on the odds of Bitcoin crashing are based on bad takes about monetary economics in the first place. They think that QE is money printing and Bitcoin can't go up if the dollar is going up and stocks are crashing. And in that video, he's like, oh, look at the dollar. It's getting really strong. And if the dollar goes up, Bitcoin can't go up. You know, if stocks crash, Bitcoin can't go up. But that's not the case. Also, why would you think stocks are going to crash? Maybe because we're going to have a recession or something, but that is not necessarily the case. What if we extend and pretend and uh, we just have at return to post GFC normal? 
of low growth, low inflation, and asset price inflation. That's what I'm predicting. The fact is, in Bitcoin's existence, the dollar has only gone up. I mean, yeah, on a day-to-day basis, it goes up and down. But uh, really, if you zoom out on a long-term chart of DXY, say, and you look since the great financial crisis, the dollar goes from bottom left to top right. That's what it does. And in that time, Bitcoin has succeeded just fine. So we've been in a monetary shortage condition globally where debts rise faster than our ability to pay them back. Think of an individual who lives lives paycheck to paycheck on a credit card. Sure, the initial spending on credit is money printing, but when that bill comes due, you are in a money shortage. We are in a global money shortage where we continue to rake up the unpayable debt that uh, to just live and service the existing debt. This doesn't end in inflation. It ends in deflation. And what people do in those times is look for a monetary alternative. The powers that be cannot allow the rollover to fail in the credit-based system. So, uh, you know, you take out more debt to service the existing debt. You know, you roll over the debts uh, on your credit cards. You know, you take out a new credit card every year and you just roll it over trying to get a lower interest rate or something. So the powers that be cannot allow this rollover to fail in a credit-based system. It's different if you have a backing to your currency, but in a credit-based system, you must roll it over. Must. You must bail it out. You must cut interest rates or do your most, uh, do your best to roll this over. It must be rolled over. If it isn't, the entire financial system freezes. You think COVID was bad? It would be way worse. That means a return to bailouts, ZERP, and asset price inflation, where credit creation is narrowed to safer assets. None of that is bearish for Bitcoin. All right, so that is what I'm talking about for the Bitcoin headlines. That's long, long segment there. Uh, macro headlines, inflation is dead. So I spent a lot of time talking about and thinking about the CPI last week. This chart below is a wow. Without shelter prices rising, CPI would be very close to zero. Shelter is a lagging component without a mind of its own. So it will also come down. We are starting to see it already. So let me make this big. You see the blue, which is shelter. Without that, we'd be under 1% for CPI year on year. Better to look at month on month, but well, actually these are month on month, right? Let's see, where are they going to? No, they're year on year. So um, yeah, it's starting to come down, the shelter component. What happens when that shelter component works its way through? And also, let's just say this blue was not here, okay, where we're back already at under 1%. That's transitory, people. This whole thing is transitory. Um, I say one factor that will keep shelter more sticky is mortgage rates. I saw today they just passed 8% on a 30-year mortgage. That can keep owner-equivalent rent prices uh, higher Sorry, that can keep owner equivalent rent higher as owners price in interest expense as well. So the way owner equivalent rent is, these are surveys and they say like, what would you rent your house for? 
and they ask everybody that or not everybody, of course, but like a big, their big sample. And so that is supposed to be owner's equivalent rent. Now that moves slowly because it's slow to register CPI increases elsewhere, you know, price increases elsewhere. But then once it's higher, it's really hard to move it down. And especially if rates are at 8%, it's going to take a lot longer for them to move it down. So that this might be stickier than I have expected in the past or predicted in the past. Um, next time I look at CPI, I'll have to factor that in. But um, I say rates will come down. This is the 30-year mortgage rates. They will come down, which will probably come down very fast when they do. And then owner equivalent rent will drop rapidly as well probably into negative territory on the CPI. I can see the CPI being negative um, next year. Maybe not by the end of this year, most likely, but by next year, I can see CPI year over year falling negative. Okay, China is collapsing as we speak is the next uh, item up here. Comparisons are starting to be made in the mainstream financial press between China today and Japan in 1990. I've been making that comparison for years. I'm reading a lot of articles about this, that China faces a collapse like Japan, but it's going to be worse, people. It's going to be worse. So things are happening fast right now for China. It was just July 1st that they sacked their central bank chief and put in place Pan Gongsheng, an expert on foreign currency exchange programs or their safe program, in order to stop the bleeding and try to save the currency. The reason it failed is because the yuan weakness is structural. You can't simply do some fancy FX swaps to save you the currency if your entire economic model is collapsing. And here is this chart. Red line is when they brought in the new PBOC head. It looked good for a couple of weeks there. And now it's right back down to the lows and falling fast. This is a devaluation a involuntary devaluation of the yuan and they can't stop it they have done everything they could to stop it not it's not looking good for them china is becoming toxic to investors and remember these foreign investors also act as a proxy for foreign demand of chinese exports yikes and here's a good chart out this morning i think it shows net Foreign direct investment is badly negative. Outbound FDI is crushing inbound FDI, which is close to zero. Pretty much the lowest it has been ever. Like if you just count inbound FDI, woo boy. Maybe this in back in 2000, maybe. But man, China depends on that. Without foreign direct investment, China needs to sell their stuff to the rest of the world. They need people to be bullish on them selling things to the rest of the world so they can get investment and they can build more factories and increase their output. If they're not getting that, that means there's less demand for their goods. Investors see that there's less demand for their goods and they're not going to invest in production of those goods. Their whole economic model starts to break down. China real estate is in free fall as well. This is 70% of households' wealth evaporating. Also, think of this in context that the CCP is trying to transition to a consumer-led economy. 
because they know they are completely dependent on globalization and other people buying their stuff. The CCP is pushing for this right as the 70% of household wealth is disappearing. Not a good time to do this. They should have done it back in 2005, <laughs> you know, when they could have pursued two different types of growth, you know, consumer growth and manufacturing, a more um, balanced economy. You can't do it now, 2023, you're tapped out, the world is tapped out, and it's going bye-bye over here in China. So this is from Andreas Steno. He says, continued mayhem in Chinese real estate. Country Garden, which was the largest real estate company in China, building those big high-rises and stuff, they have defaulted on at least 10 onshore bonds after a week where they failed to pay coupons of a couple of international payments. So not, you know, they started doing where they would not pay their foreign investors. Why, why do you think one reason for this FDI to drop so badly? Because they weren't getting paid. These big real estate companies stopped paying their foreign debtor, you know, the people that they owed money to outside in dollars, dollar denominated loans. But they were still being, you know, making good on loans that they had in the country. But now at least 10 onshore bonds have been suspended trading. And I guess it didn't say they missed payment on those. Oops, I read that wrong initially. But um, those are starting to go bad. They had to suspend trading on them because their value was going so low. It was pennies on the dollar, right? Or whatever, pennies on the yuan or whatever the penny is <laughs> to the yuan. But anyway, this is the highlighted section I have here is Chinese money and credit trends look worse than U.S. trends post Lehman. It's not good. This is not looking good, which means that either China rebounds now due to a strong response from the CCP. So they have to stimulate. There needs to be stimulus. But look, they need to stimulate, but the yuan is crashing. They have a closed capital account. So all of that stimulus would just be hot, red hot inflationary fire in their economy. They can't stimulate. So he's saying either they stimulate now or else it is the end of the Chinese economy as we know it. And it's from a very sober analyst. It's not like some uh, guy who goes out there spouting about, uh, you know, all this fear mongering stuff from other people out there in macro analyst types that are constantly just fear mongering to get clicks and get engagement. Andre Andreas is very, very sober about this. I mean, he was one that was talking transitory. He was also one that was talking about uh, gas prices were high. You know, they had peaked right around when they peaked. Similar analysis to mine, uh, talking about natural gas prices, just not getting ahead and spreading fear. He was spreading rational stuff about that. And uh, so I don't think this is over the top. I think the Chinese economy might be over as we know it, guys. How does the world change from that? All right. And lastly, their bank lending was the lowest in July since 2009. Money is printed through lending because a robust economy needs it. No economic activity, no loans. In other words, 
China's economy is grinding to a halt and people are fleeing the Yuan. Look at that. This tiny little blip, is my head covering it? Let me see. No, my head's not covering it at all, but <laughs> you can see the top of that little blip here at the bottom going all the way back to 2009. Their bank lending is falling off a cliff. All right, let's get into price analysis. So that was the headlines. Let's get into price. So we've already talked price. But uh, last week I said it was go time. I said time to pay attention because we're squeezing so tight. I mean, look at this. It looked like we're coming to a decision point. Time to pay attention. And I I think I was going to be proven right about that. But, you know, it just is happening slower than I expected. But we are still consolidating in this very, very flat period going right into this diagonal trend line. So we'll see where we go. Uh, We just got more boring sideways. Price has been so boring. Media companies in Bitcoin are having to lay off people. I saw that Coindesk, the most widely read news outlet in Bitcoin, most likely, I just guessed at that. uh, They're one of the top, is being sold off. DCG is looking to sell off Coindesk. And I don't know if they're selling the Bloomberg or something, but um, they're, they're obviously losing money, I say. All right, volatility continues to fall to new all-time lows. Here is a long-term chart of that, but you can't really see that too well. So I went ahead and did a shorter-term chart, and you see uh, it just continues to dip. This volatility is insanely, insanely low. Something has to come and kick it in the butt. Okay, sell-side risk is also very low. This is out of Glassnode. And you can see the current sell-side risk ratio, 0.019% matches with the bottoms, almost the bottoms on every single thing. So, you know, this is a very good sign that this is a bottom. We are closer to a bottom than we are to a top. Let me put it that way. Okay, nothing has changed on the weekly. Showed this a little bit earlier. All right, so I still think something big is going to happen soon. The ETF decision could be it. Only 18 days until the group comes up for approval. If the price creeps up into the tip of the triangle pattern during those 18 days, or we see a major price spike, I will take that as a signal we are about to rocket even higher on ETF approval. If we fall out of this pattern, which is possible, ETF approval becomes very questionable in my opinion. So in other words, I don't think we're going to fall out of this triangle down and then get approval. The market knows more than we do. There's people with insider information, like it or not, and the totality of people's expectations are going to be right. That's my my expectation. All right, so that's the price section. Let's get into some mining headlines. So Bitcoin mining could help decarbonize energy grids, researchers say. The massive research and headlines about Bitcoin mining continue, and this paper is getting massive attention. So a new paper came out. In its first 48 hours, the Bitcoin mining research paper is now number one in views in the last six months and has an uh, alt metric score of 344. I don't know what this 
altmetric scores. It must be a way to rate published papers, citations, views, things like that. Uh, the, this paper is now in the top 5% of all papers ever tracked out of 24 million, more than 24 million papers. There it's in the top 5%. This is a Bitcoin mining research paper saying that Bitcoin mining is positive. The paper states what is starting to become common knowledge that Bitcoin mining is a huge net positive. The lies used to attack Bitcoin for so long are completely destroyed. Quoting here, the analysis states that a series of unique characteristics set miners apart from other energy buyers, helping provide additional income and ancillary services to renewable energy grids. Some of these characteristics include flexibility of load, interruptibility, portability, and waste heat utilization. For example, Miners can help absorb excess power generated by wind and solar facilities, helping these firms become more profitable. They also could be used to monetize stranded natural gas and landfill gas that could that would otherwise be flared into the atmosphere as highly pollutive methane using containerized mining and generator solutions. So, of course, we know this. This is becoming common knowledge top 5% paper ever tracked out of 24 million papers. Uh, this is a pretty huge, huge deal. All right. Next story up. Winds of change. Bitcoin miner riot sees substantial increase in BTC holdings. Just a few weeks ago, I was reporting on the record amount of Bitcoin leaving miners wallets and going to exchanges. The public companies never were a big part of that group but now they're starting to stack aggressively. Quote, not only has Riot's revenue from Bitcoin mining increased, but their actual Bitcoin holdings have also grown substantially. As of June 30th, Riot held 7,264 BTC with the price of each BTC at $30,477. So their Bitcoin revenue increased 27%, I believe, from another part of the article. So yeah, their, their revenue is increasing plus their stacking. This is important. The miners aren't selling the way they were before. They have to rebuild their stacks. But someone has to, it's funny, miners have probably not, they, you know, they stopped selling nearly as much right when there's going to be all this demand from the spot ETFs to hold Bitcoin. It's crazy. It's like becoming like a perfect storm for the price. Okay, difficulty and hash rate. Bitcoin's difficulty adjusted a tiny amount last week by 0.12%. And you can see a little tiny tick up here in the far right. Barely anything. I mean, you can't really even notice it. So flat for the last three weeks. As you can see in this week's mempool chart, transaction traffic has remained very steady as the mempool increased only marginally. Despite this, fees have actually dropped slightly since last issue from 89 cents to 58 cents at the time of writing. And then by the time that I filled in that snapshot of Bitcoin, it was even lower than that. So let's take a look at the mempool here. Uh, this is a yearly chart. So you can see it happened right around March was when this really took off, cleared here in April. And then in May, it hasn't cleared since May. 
but it's looking very healthy. Chewing through transactions. The transaction, I guess, load or volume, transaction volume is pretty steady. All right, ordinals. And I forgot to bold that, but uh, a quick update on ordinal traffic. It seems to be remaining somewhat steady over the last couple of months. There is a weekly pattern with those spikes all occurring on Sundays. So let me open this up. So we have the spikes. They all are landing on a Sunday going back into July, first part of July. So very interesting. Something's going on on Sundays with ordinals pretty much consistent or flat over the last two months or so, but it's really not affecting the mempool as you can see. So they have met some sort of, or found some sort of happy medium there with the ordinal inscriptions. All right. And like I said, there was nothing exciting for lightning. So I did not put that in there this week. So that's going to do it guys. Once again, my name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and markets. Check out bitcoinandmarkets.com, become a free member, uh, sign up and sign up to become a free member, and you'll get this weekly newsletter every week that goes through all of the stuff from Bitcoin headlines, macro headlines, Bitcoin price, Bitcoin mining, and usually lightning or layer two, but there wasn't much to talk about this week. So I uh, appreciate you guys hanging out with me on this Monday. I uh, hope you guys have a good rest of the day, and I'll check you on the next one. Bye. All right, Telegram, what's going on, guys? If you raise your hand, you can come in. I'll, I'll uh, take any uh, questions or comments, whatever you guys got. My voice held out. I'm starting to feel a little bit like I need a cough, but uh, we're good. I think, I don't know what it is, but it's the weirdest kind of cold I've had in a long time. I don't feel sick. It's just my congestion in my throat. Um, okay, let's see you guys make any comments on this would love to know if anyone uses puts or calls for bitcoin to hedge been trying to figure out on deribit um i have not used deribit i've used other exchanges um and never to hedge i mean i've hedged other positions <laughs> but i've never hedged say go short just because i hold bitcoin you know, I'm 1x long Bitcoin all the time, and I've never I've never gone short to hedge that position, which might be a good idea in like a bear market or something, but I just never have done that. Maybe other people have. All right, that was it. You guys can have put your questions in there. Let me see if there's any hands. All right, Slim, let me get my headphones on. Just a sec, bud. All right, what's up, Slim? Hey, that Javier Millet news is pretty exciting. Um, but I think like third world country is probably in a better state than the U.S. Or because you're saying the U.S. is in a good position because of derivatives contracts and Bitcoin ETS. That, I mean, that doesn't put them in. That's not real Bitcoin. They can't really steal it. It doesn't put them in a good position at all. Well, I mean, Bitcoin has, or uh, the U.S. has the most Bitcoin nodes. They also have the most Bitcoin businesses, the most robust companies in custody. Um, they have uh, all sorts of stuff like that. Plus we have the CME, which is the largest vol uh, value volume exchange, which uh, has the Bitcoin futures. 
Uh, so a lot of that is just all happening here with Bitcoin. Plus, I would say there's probably over half, if not 75% of Bitcoin is, you know, owned by Bitcoin, uh, owned by U.S. or U.S. entities. What do you think about that? Okay, that's valid. That's valid. And also, <laughs> sorry. The nodes, I um, mean, the nodes very valid because the nodes are pretty much centralized by nature, by cost of electricity. It's going to be that way. Oh, yeah. Well, and mining, too. Uh, I was speaking about just like nodes, like random nodes or your you know average node. But a miner, yeah, there's a lot of hash rate in the U.S., too. It's not, what is it, about 30? An average, no, average nodes is not good because there's too few of them. It's tragedy of commons right there. <laughs> There's not well, enough. What do you mean? I mean, what, 100,000? How many are there? There's not that very many. Oh, yeah. there's. I don't even think there's 100,000. I've seen some estimates of like some Tor nodes that you can't count the, up to 100,000. But uh, like I think the main number that people cite is like, like 15,000, I think, right? Yeah, because most are Tor nodes and it's more of an estimation. But it's still just a very, very small number. Um, and then you have the minings all centralized, not looking good for the peasants. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, I mean, another reason why I'm, I'm so bullish on the U.S. and Bitcoin is because as the largest economy and as most likely going to have the best economy going forward in the future, that's where the wealth congregates, you know. And so if we do go onto a Bitcoin standard, even if, say, China has some secret stash of uh, 5 million Bitcoins uh, that that will eventually flow to the United States because we will have the biggest economy and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't I know how you could be a, changing though. I'm not sure you can depend on that to continue. Depend on if, what? If the you US have other adopters economy? moving faster than the U S and the U S just keeps delaying spot. I don't think, I mean, the access doesn't have to stay the way the access is. Access of power. Uh, you mean like the rival economies? Um, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that. I don't know. Pick pick a country that has been kind of a middle country for a thousand years. I don't think there's any way, even if they have a million bitcoins, that they're going to all of a sudden become some great power or anything. So no, I think the U S is destined to be the great power of the world. Africa has everything the U S has. No, they don't. We have more coastline, even though Africa is like three times bigger. Also, we have uh, the three best um, harbors in the world. We have the most interconnected navigable waterways in the world. I mean, uh, Africa, the only river that's like navigable more than a couple hundred miles inland in Africa is the Nile and it doesn't even go sub-Sahara right so that Africa is has horrible geography horrible it's super expensive to ship things um, the interior is all cut up uh, with different plateaus mesa forms uh, dry areas wet areas you know you go from Sahara to a small sliver of grassland and then to rainforest. So no, Africa is, they might have everything, but there's a difference between having stuff and being able to exploit it, right? Well, they're currently living under colonialism and that axis of power is changing. 
Well, since colonialism, uh, Africa has made more advances than the rest of their history combined. That's fine. You, I mean, that doesn't I, that doesn't mean that once they get out of colonialism that they won't still be better off um, when they're not having to give away their resources at bargain prices. Well, it definitely doesn't mean the reverse that getting rid of getting rid of colonialism or the after effects of colonialism will make them better off. Right? You're, but you're Bitcoin, saying it's going to make them better off. They adopt Bitcoin faster. It could make them much better off. I mean, they'll get an initial boost for sure. Um, that's why I think El Salvador is going to get a, a big boost from being early to Bitcoin. But I don't think that's going to fundamentally change their their economy. You know? It's like, what happens if, you know, like a... A dying system and their economy has to fundamentally change. Well, think about it like this. Like, what do they say about the average lottery winner is broke in three years or something, right? So, like, if one of these countries, they win the lottery by getting into Bitcoin early, that's not going to fundamentally change how they are as an economy. They're just going to probably have more corruption. They're going to fight each other more. It's it's, it's going to be bad. It's going to be really, really bad. I mean, there's a lot of corruption and fighting here, too. People just don't want to see truth or can't see truth. Um, I mean, it's the people on the cell phones in that video that you posted. Yeah. Into manholes or whatever, you know? Yeah, walking off a cliff. Yeah, that's sad. It's that's really a particular sad. problem in the U.S. I mean, other countries, yes, it's there, but they're not as inept as American citizens. They have more survival instincts. Yeah, I don't know. Like, rich kids know how to party. And <laughs> So it's, <laughs> yes, they do. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> <They got coke>? <laughs> <laughs> because like America is like a wealthy place, and so we might be a little bit more degenerate than the rest of the world, but yeah, that, that that's okay. I mean, we one, it's spread out there for everyone to see. Everyone wants to know how degenerate the U.S. is, you know. Uh, so that's yeah. one thing, but also that doesn't mean that you're going to be less productive necessarily. Um, if you miss the boat because so, you're a mental, um, you know, slave, put you behind. The, maybe, but just like winning the lottery, those people are going to be out. You know, that money is actually going to other people. So the actually productive place is the one that's going to get the money in the end. So they, you win the lottery, but guess who actually wins the lottery? It's the sports car dealership because they're going to sell the Lambo. So, um, yeah, the and U.S. has... I just think there's a lot of resources, um, and other countries are not using them to their maximum potential because of colonialism, and it seems like there's a uh, push to fight back against that, that power. I mean, I'm willing to accept that, but there's just no evidence. It's just all hopeful, wishful thinking. Yeah. But, I mean, there's no evidence that the U.S. will continue either. I mean, lots of empires have crumbled sure and there collapsed. Is. It's, sure there is. All empires we, collapse eventually. I mean, it's the best bet is to put money on relative status quo. 
That's the best bet. Agreed. And um, so Agreed. In, in and I'm this... talking longer time horizons too, you know, like a hundred years or I'm not talking instantaneous, like something's going to break type thing. Yeah. It took well hundreds of years to fall and, and it's still present in people's minds today, 2000 years later. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, um, yeah, yeah, it will I mean, never go away, but yeah. Well, yeah, that's kind of how I see the U S actually. I see the U.S. as like maybe we have just finished our republic era, you know, like the Roman Republic, uh, and then they became an empire. I think we're getting close to the end of our republic era, and we're going on to the next thing, whatever that's going to be. I, it's probably going to still be republic, but there's going to be major changes uh, in the United States, but we're going on for another 500 years of domination. Yeah, <laughs> another 500? Yeah. that's. I mean, that's not unreasonable. It's going to take a while. It is the largest empire to ever exist. So it's going to take, yeah, it, there's a lot of brainwashing out there. <laughs> it's going to take a while for that network effect to wear off. Yeah, and, I mean, people like to, like, I don't know if I posted it in Telegram last week or something, where uh, this one African leader i don't know from what country it was maybe it was south africa and they're saying like oh the u.s what do they do they haven't they don't produce anything china produces everything but then when you like look at the statistics china just produces a little bit more you know the u.s is still the number two manufacturer in the world uh with a fifth of the population of china with five times more wealth than china um we just have such a head start and if we stop bankrupting ourselves by paying the as a policeman of the world then what i don't think china's a valid concern um at all <laughs> i don't think that well, who who else would who else would become dominant um the smaller countries that are first actors on the bitcoin can form a union and become very dominant i mean maybe but that's like uh, trying to herd cats, you know, I don't think that that's going to be, I mean, they can't yeah. even, you can't even do 27 countries in the EU nicely. Imagine 27, like South American and African countries. They're not going to get along. Um, they're going to backstab each other. And guess what? They're going to want to have sub alliances and who is the best alliance member to have is going to be the United States because Outside of this alliance, you know, the U.S. is like a, a tiebreaker for everything. So, no, I think that the the infighting is just too great. And, like, I think that we could actually, the U.S. will lose hegemonic power. I think there, there will be three or so poles in the world. But they will, um, the share of GDP of the U.S. will go up. What are the three that you think? Well, I I wrote the piece recently on the website, the coming multipolar world, where I think that Davos, which is the you know Marxist, the global Marxist, they will actually get kicked out of the West, and they're going to go try to find some place uh, to hunker down. And unfortunately, that's going to be places like Venezuela or Cuba or some of these kind of weaker democracies around the world they might get taken over by these like global davos folks and then um the other one is going to be sure. BRICS. so i do think the BRICS. 
Well, I think the BRICS eventually kick out China. And uh, I think China will become like this Davos because they're already commies and they're already, you know, already Marxist. They fit perfectly with them. Yeah. It's already the the prevailing uh, thought is already China. That's already what we're doing. Yeah. And then the next poll will be the BRICS without China, but with like Turkey and maybe North Africa, uh, something like that. And then I'm in that piece. I also talked about Europe and I, I don't know what really to expect from Europe, but I do think uh, perhaps maybe Germany or even Poland East will be BRICS oriented and yeah. France and Italy and Spain and those places will be more of like a Western Europe um, as a kind of a poll, but they will be a second tier poll in my opinion. Bitcoin will be one of those accesses too. You're talking fiat accesses. Oh, I think it'll be a Bitcoin standard by that time. Okay. Everyone, See? everyone will use Bitcoin. Now that's wishful thinking. Maybe what? You're talking like 500 years from now. No, I think it's going to happen pretty fast. Let's see. I probably have another 50 years to live. So maybe in my lifetime, this will happen. Okay. Bitcoin standard or the axis is changing up into this multipolar. I see the multipolar thing happening faster than Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, um, what's interesting is that a multipolar world doesn't work with credit-based money. So if you do have a multipolar world, they're going to have to back their currencies by something. Because you're not going to want, like this global financial system we have right now is all backed by the dollar. Uh, it's one giant global financial system. And if that goes away, you have to, like who wants to hold a yuan uh, or a Russian ruble or a South African rand if it's not part of the global financial system? And so you have to uh, back it with something. So all of these currencies, I think, will go to, a Bitcoin standard, and it will probably happen in something, you know, like a Bretton Woods even, where people get together and these yeah. countries are like, look, we need to back our currencies with something. Everyone's losing confidence. And they say, how about Bitcoin? And yeah. I don't know. All right, guys, just to wrap up this show, I realized I wasn't clear right there at the end on the credit-based money. But uh, to flesh that out a little bit more, I have talked about this in the past, but a credit-based system that we have today is based on confidence and international trust. So for credit, you must trust your counterparty. And the entire global financial system is predicated on a group of international institutions since World War II. A US-led order is how we kind of summarize this, but it is really a international system like the UN, the IMF, the WTO, the World Bank, the Bank of International Settlements, um, what else? The World Court, the Geneva Conventions, all of these things are all like wrapped up in this US-led order that we, that's kind of the catch-all for all the system that we have today. But if that starts breaking down, the trust in those international institutions start breaking down, credit becomes more expensive, and you can't, you can't maintain a credit-based system, a global credit-based system. You must have something to carry that trust. And the, what we say about Bitcoin often is that Bitcoin is a trustless system 
because you don't have to trust somebody else. That's important. You aren't trusting someone else. You're trusting the laws of nature. Just like gold is trustless, you trust the laws of nature that gold will remain gold. Um, you do have to trust the sovereign that they're not debasing their coins, right? Like going from, say, 92% gold down to 89% gold or something. You have to have some trust there. But the gold itself, you don't have to trust the gold itself. And that's like Bitcoin. A credit-based system, you have to trust the entire system and the other people in the system and all the counterparties. But with a sound money, you don't have to do that. So in a deglobalized world, when we're breaking apart and we're in a multipolar world, that international trust breaks down and you cannot have a credit-based system. It just won't function. And in that case, you will turn to something like Bitcoin. Okay, I think I did a better job fleshing that out, but let's uh, wrap up this episode. Yeah, <laughs> cheers to that. I hope it takes hundreds of years too, because then that's less <laughs> conviction for everybody. <laughs> Nobody will even notice it. Well, cool. Thanks for taking my call, man. I'm taking my hand. Yes, sir. That's a cool conversation. Thanks for hanging out. All right, any other hands? All right, well, that's going to do it for today, guys. Thanks for hanging out with the live stream. Um, don't forget to share around the fundamentals report, trying to get that out to uh, as mo as many inboxes as I can. So share that out with friends and family. I would appreciate that. And uh, all right, I'll see you guys on the next one. Bye.